Down the rabbit hole, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which we record this podcast on. We acknowledge their continuing connections to the land, culture, and community. We pay respect to elders past, present, and future, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello and welcome to another episode of Down the Rabbit Hole, the podcast where we try and answer those tough questions our kids ask us. We research the questions and come here to discuss the answers we find, and some of the more interesting aspects of the rabbit holes we fall down. Warning, we are not experts on the topics we discuss. Enjoy! I am Carter, and rumour has it, the man joining me today is the real Slim Shady. Felix, welcome. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... What? You can stop me anytime you want. I hated that so much. Well, just for you, Bagel. No. Slim Shader. What? <laughs> and this week's special guest, rumor has it, he went as Eminem to the last Halloween party. Bagel, welcome. I think I'm far too tall to be Eminem. I don't think that would work. Yeah, actually, that's true. How tall are you? 6'7", 6'6". How tall are you, Felix? Don't worry, you don't have to answer that. Much shorter. This episode is brought to you by Peanut Butter. Unless you're allergic, in which case, look away now. Look away now. Interesting. So that the listeners can get to know who we are, each week we give them the opportunity to ask the three of us a question. If you'd like to ask us a question, you can find the link in the form in the show notes below or on our website, rabbitholepod.com. Today's question comes in from Rebecca in Leeds. Leeds? Ooh. In the UK. I don't know if there's any others, is there? I'm not aware of any. Um, I'm going with the UK. Let's. Which non-politician should be the next Prime Minister? Hmm. Prime Minister, it would have to be a country that has a Prime Minister. It could be either England or Australia. Or Canada. Could I say Jim Jeffries? Does Jim Jeffries count? He works for, the, he's an Australian living in the US and he's, that one would be very interesting to see what happens. Who's he? Um, can you explain he's, it to the old people? He's an Australian comedian who lives in the US and is very critical about a lot of issues and swears a lot. It's very amusing to watch. Probably viewer discretion is advised if you're going to watch some of his stuff because he doesn't really hold back. And I don't necessarily know if it would be very good for the place that he's Prime Minister of, but it would certainly be amusing for just about everyone else involved. If, if he was an Australian Prime Minister, then it would just make Question Time very entertaining. Absolutely. Have you listened to Question Time? Yeah. Not as entertaining as it could be. I would say it's entertaining just for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Yes. Like when you actually think these people are elected to be our leaders. Run our country. They're squabbling over the stupidest things. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Mm. We're getting political. I'm going to say, because I used to like him when he bowled in cricket, Glenn McGrath. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. I like it. Who are? He's got a cool head. He's quite a smart man. I think he could do the job. He's got to be better than a lot of the previous prime ministers in Australia and well above Boris Johnson. So 
he could do both countries. Well, I mean, let's be real. Greatest one of all time is still Bob Hawke to this day, in my opinion, and that's purely because he can because he's an animal on the on the drinks. I I, I can't think of a specific person. I would just say uh, that they should be not male, not straight, and not Anglo. Right. An Indigenous Australian would be good, but just not Anglo. That'd be a bit of a change. I think we need a, a female, queer, Indigenous Prime Minister. Absolutely. Bring it on. How was your week, Carter? My week was good. I have started another project. I think I've got about four on the go, but that's okay. I, I needed another one. I know about the Cubby House. Yeah, there's the Cubby House. What else is there? I'm not sure whether I've talked about the Smoker yet. Yeah, that rings a bell. <laughs> I, think you, I, I think we've heard about the Smoker. Maybe I'm having a stroke here. No, I think you just don't listen. No, I think I'm having I think I might actually be having a stroke here apparently. Yeah, so this one I I do a little bit of home brewing and I'm just digitizing everything. So I'm having a lot of fun playing with all the electronics and uh getting that system up and going. Nice. Nice. Look, unfortunately, it's all in pieces now, so I can't now brew another beer until I've got it back all together. But hopefully it doesn't take too long. Uh see, this is the problem with technology. You can't have your beer when the system's broken. But does it not make it more efficient once you've fixed the system afterwards? Well, that's the plan, whether it happens or not. (laughs) I'll have to report back. Watch this space. How about you, Bagel? How was your week? Yeah, not too bad. Everyone in the workplace seems to be getting COVID. So it's going well. Fun and games. Played a lot of golf. Oh, that's right. Whack fire truck. Didn't play very well. You love your golf. Turns out can't putt to save my life. Can chip really well, but I can't putt to save my life. Can you team up in golf? Like you, you, you've got your, it's a bit like you've got your your irons and your woods, right? But instead of just having your irons and woods, you've got your team member who can do the drive and your team member who can do Yeah, the- that's called that's called a multi that's called a scramble. You actually do that. That's a thing. Yeah, well, well, I mean it's not an official thing. It's more of like a fun game you can play, but oh, yes. I will totally join that. I'll be the guy who sits at the 18th hole and drinks the beer. No, that's the 19th, 19th. hole. Wrong hole. Wrong hole. Come on. Oh, I'll I'll get better. What did you say that were what, what what you what did you compare it to? I'm surprised you didn't compare it to, you know, cricket or NFL when there's literally different people who do different jobs. Hmm? Don't worry. <laughs> we broke him. But no, I can hit the ball really far, but it either goes really straight or it goes really far in the wrong direction. I've never actually played golf because at the driving range, I can never hit it straight. Like, I, I don't even game anymore. I just go for it. The, yeah, the good thing about the driving range is no one's counting. Yeah. Now, see, the good thing about the driving range is you're actually aiming to hit the guy who's going around in the ball pickup cart. I want to be in that ball pickup cart. I don't think you do. I kind of do. <laughs> I don't think you do. It's on the bucket list. As long as it's got decent sides. Let me tell you, you don't want to be in that ball pickup thing when I'm hitting because I will be aiming for you. I'm sure most people will be. Felix, how was your week? Good, yeah. Um, we've been uh, we we read a lot of books with the boys. Um, but interestingly, recently, we read a couple of books that referenced the Great Chicago Fire. Do you guys know much about that? What books are you reading to them? 
Yeah, what are you? No, like this is these are kids' books. These are kids' books. One one's a a comic even um, cat kid comic club, and and another one was uh, I can't remember what it was called, but uh, it's it just that it comes up. They they introduce these topics early on. Really, truly, truly. That's interesting. I'm trying to think of the equivalent that would happen here. Like, how many people died in Chicago Fire? Well. That was actually a question. <laughs> that was a question that my son asked. So this was a few days after the the most recent book that we had read, right? And uh, and he just he he actually comes with this barrage of questions. Was the Great Chicago Fire real? And I was like, yes, I'm pretty much sure that it was real. Um, don't know much about it, but and then he says, how many people died? Oh, I don't know. When was it? Oh, I don't know. How did it start? I don't know. Let's go and ask our favorite search engine. <laughs> I feel I wonder whether there's a few Americans that are listening that are a bit upset that you didn't know these, but I mean it's understandable. I wouldn't have a clue about. It. I, th- I I've heard of it, so I'll definitely say it, it was real. But then the rest. Yeah, but you do know we live on a little island in the bottom of the world that doesn't know very much. They know that, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure if they're listening to this many episodes, they worked it out by now. <laughs> yeah. We've got no idea what's going on, guys. Don't listen to anything we say. I mean, listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, listen to the podcast. Just disregard the actual information. Just consider it. It has a big red draft stamp stuck over the top of it. Well, I after doing some research, I can tell you that this particular fact-finding mission did come up with some questionable results. But let me tell you some of the truths that I found. Talking about questionable, so you had Ninja and that came with some questionable. I think maybe it's the techniques that he used maybe. Yeah, the, the research think, techniques. Yeah, let's get to it, and and then you be the judge. Okay, okay. So I think I think he's already pretending to be the judge at this point. Don't just fire shots before I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's shoot first, ask questions later. We're all guilty. All right. First question: Was the Chicago fire real? Yes. At least we got that one right. And it's the same Chicago Fire that they're talking about in the books. It is indeed. Comics. There is a Great Chicago Fire that was very, very real. One sec. It's called and the Great Chicago Fire. Great because it, great equals big in this particular instance, not great in, in a different aspect. Like Alexander the Great. I think it was great as in like spectacularly bad. Okay. Exactly. It was spectacularly bad. How many people died? I do have an answer to that question. 300 people were killed in the fire. 17,500 buildings were destroyed, leaving one third of the city's population homeless or 90,000 people. Jeez. That is a lot. When was it? The... Great Chicago Fire was from the 8th till the 10th of October, 1871. Okay. So it was a hot minute ago. Mm. I mean, what's that, 50-something 50, 50 years ago, 52? 
Oh. I take it you missed the eight, the eighteen at the oh, start. Oh, did I? I missed the eighteen. Yep. <laughs> I definitely heard nineteen. Yep. No, little, little more. I thought your maths was just off again. No, um, just triple it, triple it, just triple it. <laughs> yeah. You got it. <laughs> so the questionable part comes into how did it start? I still don't know the definitive answer to that question. I don't know that anyone actually does know. It has been long established that it started in a barn. That is a fact. And which barn it was, we know. But the cause remains a mystery, so I started digging. Here are some facts. We know that it had been a hot and dry summer in 1871. We know that buildings in Chicago often had a single layer of fireproof material on the outside, hiding a wooden structure underneath. And we know that winds carried embers from the fire from building to building, causing more and more to burn. We know that the waterworks, which was the main source of water for the city's fire department, was one such building. Its wooden roofing shingles had been replaced with slate, but the structure itself was pine. So when a burning ember struck the roof in the first hours of the fire, the waterworks was quickly destroyed. Right, that only seems slightly problematic. Slightly problematic for a third of the city, which burnt. In the end, it, it burnt for nearly two days. It was stopped by a combination of rain, it ran out of buildings to burn, and it hit Lake Michigan. That's a pretty lucky lake, then. It's a pretty lucky lake. Yes, yes, it is known as Lake Lucky L- Lucky Lake Michigan. Actually, was is it actually? No, don't. <laughs> just a little. No, <laughs> in the background, just make that. So, all right, we know that it started in a barn. Uh, We know it spread quickly, but how did it actually start? This is where we start going down some rabbit holes. I've got some theories for you, fellas. You guys be the judge. Do I need to get my tinfoil hat out? Um, You might have to clarify what's the purpose of the tinfoil. Is it a conspiracy? Oh. Oh, oh, he's so old. (laughs) I would have thought that would still be in his era, but... I feel like that's a pretty common one. Got it. Got it. No. No, nah, um, yes. Yeah, they no, nah, I'm not sure. You, there's you, there's gotta be some decide. conspiracies around something like this. There there could be a bit of conspiracy involved in the first theory. Somewhere along the lines, the government's involved. Yeah. So listen to theory number one then. You might the government and lizard monsters. Don't forget the lizard monsters. <laughs> that might come into theory three. We'll get oh dear. We'll get there. Theory number one. Poor Mrs. O'Leary's cow. The owners of the barn where the fire started were a Patrick and Catherine O'Leary. They were a couple of Irish immigrants living in poverty. The perfect scapegoats scapegoats for our whodunit story. Oh, so it was their barn? It It was their barn. That is proven. Okay. Shortly after the fire began, a journalist by the name of Michael Ahern from the Chicago Republican newspaper, ran the story that Mrs. O'Leary was out milking her cow at 9 p.m. 
when the cow kicked over a lantern into a pile of hay and started the fire in the barn that went on to destroy one third of the city. Seems awfully convenient. This was reported not long after it started. Correct. Okay. That seems convincing. Eyewitness, I'm sure. Seems very convenient, but... Well, I'm not sure. Shall digress? I'm not sure uh, about any eyewitness. Catherine O'Leary denied it, saying that she never milked the cows after dark. But the story was out there and the O'Learys were condemned by the city. You think the Irish newspaper... The uh, the journalist would, would be on the Irish family side. Uh, well, Michael O'Hearn. Yeah, that sounds like an Irish name, doesn't it? Jumping to conclusions, but we're going off that right now, right? Good good point. Good point. Um, Isn't that literally what we do on this podcast every single episode is just jump to conclusions? <laughs> there is a lot of that, yes. A month after the fire... An investigation conducted by the Chicago Board of Police and Fire Commissioners led to the O'Leary's being cleared of any involvement, proving they were in bed at the time the fire started. But how did they prove that? Mm, maybe fire started in the sheets. Probably friction. check that out. I don't know how they proved it, but it was done by a board who, you know, proves stuff. But the story was out there, and the O'Learys Nailed were it. condemned by the city. <laughs> Even though they were cleared. Correct. Right. In 1893, 22 years later, said journalist Michael O'Hearn admitted he'd only run that story to sell more newspapers. But the story was out there, and the O'Learys were condemned by the city. I was about to say something that, given current law cases, I shouldn't say, but I'm just going to say a more generalised. So journalists have always been the same. (laughs) Yikes. The the Chicago City Council finally exonerated Catherine O'Leary and her cow in 1997. Well, at least we got the priorities right and the cow got away with it. So how do they know this? (laughs) Well, that brings us to theory number two. I'm all about theory number one. Yeah. I've got my tinfoil hat on already at this point. You you still think it's the cow? No, I think it's... It's 100% the cow. The cow 100% did it. Either that or the sheep. I think it's Mrs. O'Leary. Mrs. O'Leary. All right, well, I shouldn't say that. She probably had a very hard life after that. She had probably before that too. Mrs. O'Leary was a lovely lady. Her her and her husband, Patrick, were actually forced to leave the city. They were were condemned. They could not live there anymore. So they did not live a very nice life. But they became billionaires after that, right? In New Uh, York. (laughs) They certainly did not. No, Irish immigrants in uh, the 1800s did did not fare very well. Theory number two, the one-legged neighbour. What? Okay, so you just asked Carter, why did the Chicago City Council take a century to exonerate Mrs. O'Leary? In the 1990s, a Chicago lawyer and amateur historian by the name of Richard Bales started looking into the evidence, including some... Can I just make a comment right there? We're off to a rough start if he's literally described as an amateur historian. 
I'm sorry, we're not exactly reaching for the stars here. It's I like... suspect he's going to be the king of the story. He he has actually done a hero he, he, of the story. He's taken he's taken a bit of a fancy to this story, and so he started just doing some digging. He is also a lawyer, so he's quite the fact finder. Uh, so he does bring in he he brings some interesting evidence into the case, including some that had not been examined properly in the original investigation. Are we talking interesting good or interesting terrible? Well he found some holes in the story of one of the O'Leary's neighbors, which was a man right. with a prosthetic leg by the name of Daniel Pegleg Sullivan. Sullivan was the right. first person to raise the alarm of the fire in the barn. However... No, it was him. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever smelled it, dealt it. (laughs) Exactly. Bales found that Sullivan would not have been able to see the barn on fire from where he claimed to be standing, and because of his prosthetic leg, would not have been able to hobble to the barn and release the animals from the blazing inferno in time without suffering injury himself. Oh, I mean... I'm still going with it just because it seems the most logical right now. But there's a lot of assumptions. Like, what if this is a very capable peg leg man? Like, he's putting... <laughs> very capable peg leg. It's not about the disability. Dear it's Lord. about the ability. Right? That was a good recovery. That was a really good recovery. <laughs> well, there's more. Sullivan claimed to have yelled fire several times before he reached the barn but no one was ever found who heard him so he claimed he called fire mm. dom, dom, dom. i mean mm. if you think about it you're running down the street calling fire fire someone's going to hear you well i mean i don't know what the well i mean if, the, the if, there's, if there's no one around i feel like that's probably not the case no, there were people around but we're in chicago yeah. I mean, you're also going to probably see a guy running who has a peg leg, so... So the conclusion was that Sullivan was in the O'Leary's barn at the time of the fire, which carries weight as his mother owned one of the car- cows that was kept in the barn, and he would actually visit it to feed it and care for it. So okay. s- some allege, and again, it's just a theory... He was having a nightcap in the barn when a spark from his pipe ignited the hay. Oh, you didn't tell me he was a smoker. <laughs> Everybody smoking kills. Just in this case, not how they normally advertise it. Let's put this on the packets. Chicago fire caused <laughs> by smoking. Mm. What will happen to you? <laughs> I don't think that's going to catch well, on. That's what they said about the Chicago fire. According to Time magazine, as Sullivan tried to flee, his peg leg stuck in a floor crack. He discarded it and hobbled to safety by clinging to the O'Leary's cow. So in this version, the cow still makes an appearance. He was dragged out by the cow. All of a sudden, the cow's a hero. A hero, a lifesaver. But as you have rightly pointed out, there is not conclusive evidence to this theory, which leads me... To theory number three. One sec, I have to go back. Okay. I want to know, so what led, you probably don't know, but I'm I'm confused as what led them to come up with the theory 
that he lost his peg leg in a crack and then was dragged out by the cat. Like that seems fanciful and wonderful, but like what evidence led them to believe that? Other than the I'm peg inclined leg in to the... think it's. Please beep that out. Yeah, look, I, I, I think I'm with Bagel on this. I think it was just a fun little story for time to run. That uh, well, time to hobble. You mean? <laughs> Oh dear. Uh, yeah, probably take that one out. You're ready for the dad's jokes, mate. <laughs> I I think that they just wanted to turn the cow who had been the villain for a century into a hero. Okay, so let's take that out. Is it believed that he that that peg leg was in the barn? That so that's the evidence that okay. this uh, amateur historian of the sleuth the sleuth came came up with. And is actually what was presented to the Chicago City Council that led them to exonerating Catherine O'Leary and her cow. Excellent. I'm on board for this one so far. Now, number three. Oh, are we up to number, number three? three? We are up to number three. A, a comet. A comet. Okay. Now we're, now we're getting to the fun stuff. It's, all right. <laughs> it's de- I can't say it with a straight face. It's definitely the comet. <laughs> <laughs> So around the time of the fire, a periodic comet called Biela's Comet was supposed to be in the vicinity. And some have suggested pieces of the comet might have fallen to earth and sparked not only the Chicago fire, but a whole bunch of other devastating blazes in Wisconsin and Michigan that same year. Oh, so not even at the same time? Well... There, there was actually a particularly devastating fire in Wisconsin on the same night that killed, okay, it was 300 people in Chicago. This one killed in Peshtigo, Wisconsin, an estimated 2,000 people in a single night, the same night as the Chicago fire. Right. And I bet Wisconsin is pretty pissed off that they don't get the great fire attributed to them. <laughs> I think the anger is more misplaced at the fact that there was a fire, but sure, we can go with that one. The reasons, the reasons though, are firstly, there was a, there, yes, there was a lot of people killed, but the population of the town was quite small. So they didn't have the glam and glitter of the city of Chicago, whereas yeah. the Chicago one obviously took out a third of a city. And secondly, if you have ever been to Chicago since, which, you know, I'm sure you guys probably didn't go there before the Great Chicago Fire. I think you might be right. What happened to that city after the fire was a rebuilding that has put Chicago as one of the finest architectural cities, certainly in the country, if not on the planet. Is this a personal opinion? Uh, I think maybe a little bit, but... Thank you. That's all I needed. Not entirely. <laughs> no, I think Chicago is widely regarded as a an impressive architectural city. So, okay, let's get back to the comet. Um, our lawyer and amateur historian friend Richard Bales actually argues against this theory, but I dug a little deeper and it is compelling. There was a book published in 1985 that puts together the evidence that a meteor shower from a disintegrating Biela's comet started this fire, as long as uh, along with a bunch of the other fires that happened around the same time, because 
the comet passed the Earth every 6.6 years. That was, you know, we see Halley's Comet every 70 or 80 years. This one was quite a regular appearer in our night skies. And when the comet was previously seen in 1846, it had actually split in two. On its next return in 1852, it had become two comets altogether. And then neither of those two comets had been seen since, except as meteor showers, which you can see today. They're called the Bielids or the Andromedids. The two different showers, the two different halves, is that? No, they're they're, they're the same name. They're, they're either called the Bielids because they came from the Bielids comet yep. or the Andromedids because of their proximity to the Andromeda constellation in our sky. Okay, cool. Right. Yeah. So anyway... That was another little rabbit hole. A, a rabbit a, a rabbit hole to the rabbit hole. I find it hard to believe. I know I said I'm all in. The, the theory goes that the Earth would have been passing through these meteor showers around the time of the fires. And there were reports of fireballs moving through the sky on the night of the fire and fires breaking out simultaneously in different locations. Further, firemen reported basements were burning blue, which is the flame colour of methane and acetylene, and these are gases typically found in frozen form in comets. And despite other hot summers, the fires of 1871 are to this day the worst experienced anywhere in the US. There's also a journalist who was looking into the comet theory and says, if you find all those places on a map where the fires were, it looks an awful lot like a debris path falling from the sky. Right. The kind of footprint you might expect from a shattered comet. Okay. I went from joking that I was all in to all of a sudden. That, that seems fair. I still I, I haven't heard of too many comets making it through the atmosphere. Well, very good point. It's not actually the comet. So the comet had already disintegrated. It was the meteorites. Yeah, but even so. Coming through the atmosphere. It, that, that they're even smaller. They are smaller. But the idea was that all of these meteorites would have come down and some of them might have hit the earth and started fires. That's I, the theory. I just getting through the atmosphere is. I, I don't know. I feel like we're really banking on a lot of things that don't happen very often or take a lot to actually happen to kind of rely on this one. Well, they don't happen very often. There, There is very... This, this is where we start getting into some scientific trouble because they don't happen very often and there's a reason they don't happen very often because meteorites are frozen when they're outside of the atmosphere Mm -hmm. they burn up as they enter the atmosphere, but that's only mm -hmm. the outside. The inside is still icy cold. And from ex from, from, from experiences... From, from people, personal experience. <laughs> from personal experience, when I have touched meteorites that have hit the ground. <laughs> no, but from, from people who have touched meteorites that have got to them quite quickly, they are cold to the touch by the time they hit the earth. So... It's unlikely that one of these meteorites would have still been hot. Okay, so there have been meteorites that have made it to Earth through the atmosphere. There have. And okay. if they're big enough, there, ha there has been an example, I think, in, in Siberia. There was an example where a really big one smashed 
into the earth and but it left a, a sizable dent and i think it was more the uh the the explosion hitting the ground that started the fire rather than the heat of the uh the meteorite itself actually starting a fire mm-hmm. makes sense experts in the field have suggested this probably is not what happened i've got one more theory a gambler what there was there was one person who actually admitted fault for the blaze but not until he died in 1942 businessman and gambler named Lewis Cohn placed his confession in his will. Oh, that's a good place to put a confession. Isn't it? At age 18, Cohn was together with the O'Leary's son and a few other boys. Oh, not together. together. No, they were shooting craps in the hayloft by lantern light. Mm-hmm. On the night of the fire, Cone says in his will that one of the boys knocked a lantern over, starting the fire. Okay, so so far it sounds very plausible, but you've also made all the other ones sound plausible. So what's the <laughs> what's, what's the, the cash? Was he in England at the time? Well, the only thing is, well, there are two things. Um, firstly, nobody can show evidence of the will. Right. So first dodge. Oh, one sec, one sec, one sec. Who, who claims that there was a will? Ooh, controversy. So it's actually, it looks to have been covered up by the family if, if there was indeed a will, but there was a gambling historian who wrote a book in 1964? Hold up, that amateur gambling historian. He wrote a book, so he can't be an amateur. I disagree. Would you Would you make a podcast if you were an amateur? You're right. Aren't we doing that right now? <laughs> Two opposite answers. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I guess the the other thing is, assuming that there is a confession, uh, a person's confession in a will does not necessarily. It's not necessarily given, right? That that is actually what happened. Well, uh, or is it? I would have. Or is thought, it Carter? I, I think Carter just had a stroke. You okay? What happened I'm there? Old, I'm not that old. I'm not Felix's age. <laughs> Shots fired. Yeah, he's, he's he's not. I would have thought if you put something in your will, it's because you have like you're not going to put something. I wouldn't have thought you'd put something incorrect in your will, admitting to something. Like, you, if you want to admit to something falsely, you wouldn't put it in your will. But then it's strange that no one has also found this will other than this professional, obviously professional, because he's written something. Right. So I'm just going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to call bullshit. All right. I'm pretty sure that Bagel has called BS on all, three, all four theories there. I've. Pretty much agreed to all of them. So <laughs> you're very convinced. Right. You should be a lawyer, Felix. <laughs> well, only if I'm the one in the jury. Yeah, if you're all the one in the jury, then we're all in serious trouble. I, I I was starting to get quite confused myself as you started picking holes in all of my arguments. So I don't know how how I'd stand up in a courtroom. 
better than Carter. <laughs> so, do you have a theory after all the research? Yeah, in fact, uh, I I've I've got my theory. This is what I told my boys in the end. A comet hit a one-legged man riding a cow in a gambling den. To be honest, most plausible of all of them. Nailed it. We can all go home. Okay, so the comet hit the man who tripped over, well, you know, smashed over, smashing the candle into the hay. Everyone runs and is quiet because they're in an illegal gambling. It makes sense. Nailed it. We've got it. We know. Can we call you an amateur sleuth? Did we? Did we get it? Oh, I I consider myself a professional sleuth. Thank you very much. <laughs> do you have a joke for us, Felix? I do. Uh, I'm pretty sure I do. Yes. How did everyone escape the fire in the yodeling school? In an orderly, orderly, orderly fashion. <laughs> uh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that was pretty good. Oh, really? I really hated that joke, but it was the only clean one I could find on fires. Bagel, if people want to follow you, what's the best way of keeping up to date? If that's the case, just follow me on the Instagram. I'm there, at NothBagel. And Felix, how about you? I am on Instagram at FelixTheNewton. Excellent. And if you'd like to follow me, my Instagram handle is at Carter J. Newton. Felix and Bagel, thank you for joining us for another episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. Thank you for the listeners for joining us for this episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. Please like, share and subscribe. If you did really like the show, recommend it to a friend. It really does make a difference to get the show out there. You can find our socials on our website, rabbitholepod.com, or in the show notes below. We have a form that will allow you to suggest a topic, ask the host a question, or suggest a recommendation for Bagel's Next Tattoo. You can find this on our website or in the show notes below. Remember, we are no experts, so if you'd like to connect, condemn, or congratulate us, Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and goodbye for now.